This is 20 Questions on Design Lake City, and today we have Nicole Ziegler. Nicole, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Um, Nicole is an interior designer here in Salt Lake and the founder of the full-service interior design firm, NZ Design. And mm -hmm. um, I know Nicole because her office is currently located uh, under my office in uh, downtown Salt Lake. So um, we've gotten to know each other over the past couple of years. Um, and uh, it's fun to finally have a chance to like really dig in uh, into Nicole's um, design philosophy here on the on the show. So um, we'll do that through 20 questions. And um, let's just get started. Okay. We'd like to thank the sponsor for this episode, Curate to the Trade, Utah's design trade showroom, a resource for sourcing, knowledge, and inspiration. For more information, visit www.curatetothetrade.com. All right, so question number one, what is something everyone should do or try at least once in their life? You know, I think that um, everybody should at least try. This isn't a specific answer, really, but just everybody should do something that they are terrified of. I think one thing I've learned is that the best decisions I've made in my life have been the things I've been the most scared of doing. So an example of that is like going away to college, leaving my hometown. I was terrified, but I decided I had to do it. And it just opened up a whole new world to me. Question two, what needs a redesign? So right now, my answer to that question is my business needs a redesign. Um, mm. As you and I have kind of discussed, we are in, the, in a sort of transformation um, and I am losing my, my one employee. I'm going to go back to working solo. Mm. Um, and I am going to go back to working more permanently from a home office, at least for now. Um, but also the, this pandemic has changed how a lot of design services can be offered. And it's changed how a lot of clients want and need to do business. Mm. And so, that's my my big redesign right now is just kind of taking a step back to really look at my my business, evaluate where I am now, where I need to be in order to adapt, and what is it going to look like moving forward. What about the client relationship has changed, or is like not being able to go on site and meet in person and all of these things a, a pretty big hindrance to how you work? There's a little, yes, yes, that has, that has made a difference and there's a bit of adjusting. I mean, we've all known that technology has changed the industry a lot anyway, and we've just been able to take advantage of that more than ever. So like everybody else, we're doing Zoom design calls um, and meetings and uh, we're doing more offsite stuff, um, but we do still know that there is a need to meet in person. So we are do still doing some in-person meetings. We'll meet at the site. We'll try to um, stay outside as long as possible, right. you know, meet on a front porch or a patio or whatever, um, and just follow all the, the precautions. But um, I think the pandemic has also just changed people's mind frame mm. about design and what's needed. Um, since most of what we do is residential design and everybody's been in their homes more now than they ever have before, 
it is changing what people need, what they want, mm. um, and how we can go about getting it for them. Gotcha. So they're, they're ripping out like libraries and extraneous rooms and, and adding like um, home, home gyms and playrooms for kids homeschooling and whatnot. Yes, yes. And of course, the, the home office need. Mm, yep. But some of the other things in some of my design forums that we talk about, too, are things like um, changes in, in kitchens, um, kitchen design. Uh, one thing that people have realized, I think, especially when everybody was hoarding things early on, is that people want bigger food storage pantry areas. Um, and also people are eating in more now than ever. Mm. And so they want to eat healthy, but they still want to eat quickly, conveniently, because right. life is still busy. And so that changes how, um, you know, what, what priorities are in the kitchen. Mm. And then there's also um, just the whole health and safety aspect of it as well. Right. And how to keep things cleaner and more, um, you know, germ-free, and mm. that is that's impacting a lot of design thinking right now too. Mm. That is really fascinating, and it seems like it would be um, a lot of a lot of work, right? It seems like it would keep interior designers busy around the country. Yeah. So I, I imagine you're going to be needing to hire more more people at some point. I, it's definitely a very busy time right now. And uh, I had heard somebody say uh, this other, this radio show I was listening to, they interviewed a panel in the industry that our industry is probably the least impacted like by the pandemic right, right now. We are, we are one industry that is still thriving. It's full bore. And like, um, I think like landscapers too, right? Which is related, you know, like home, yes. home improvement. Exactly. Okay. So question three, what random skill do you wish you were better at? <laughs> My answer to that is uh, meditation. Mm. I, I think that it is so, I know that it is so important and I just don't have the ability to <laughs> let my mind sit still very easily. So, That's great. And I know it would be so beneficial for me to be able to do this. So since the podcast started, since I started it um, uh, over a year ago, just barely, um, that so many guests talked about meditation and the importance of like, you know, how, how meditation helps your creativity. And so I actually started meditating since, you know, like oh, really? listening to guests. Yeah. And it's hard. Like that, that's, that's no joke. Like I ha I'll like end a session and just be like, like that didn't work, you know? <laughs> um, so I, I feel you. Yeah. It's, it's not, it's not an easy exercise. No. Okay. Next question. Number four, what is your dream project to work on? It's kind of, it's not a specific project answer, but my, my dream project, you know, that show on, um, I think it was HGTV. It was called Hidden Potential. Okay. No, I never saw that, but I'll have to check it out. Okay. So a potential homeowner would, uh, or a, a, sorry, a buyer would go into a place and they would get the opportunity to see a house, not as it currently was, but as it was after its potential was revealed mm. and they would have a designer that would come in and do complete renderings and mock-ups and design and be able to then transform that home for the buyer, but before the buyer was involved. Okay. And I would love to have a client that, you know, a situation to do that, a client that would allow me to do that. And then obviously also had the budget to do it. I think that's 
one of my favorite things about my my work is working in a remodeling scenario and being able to go into a home and recognize what it could possibly be and then turn it into that. The next question is the origin story question. Basically, how did you get your start in, in design? Some of your early training and schooling and some of your, your first jobs that helped you get into your career? Sure. So I started, um, actually, I went to Michigan State University. I started in 95. I'm totally dating myself here in 1995. <laughs> and I started as a um, graphic design major. Okay. I knew I wanted to do something creative. I wanted to do something in the world of art. But I also, because I was paying my way through college come summer, I needed to find a job and I could not find a graphic design related internship type job that would actually pay me so I could pay my rent. So I kind of went home with my tail between my legs and worked for the remodeling company that my mom was working for. Mm. And within two weeks of working at that company and meeting some of the designers involved in that business, I knew that I wanted to be involved in residential design and construction. So I changed my major um, that, that next term. Um, and then once I graduated, I graduated with a degree in interior design. I had decided exactly what I wanted to do. I wanted to work in kitchen and bath design in a design build firm. So there were only a few companies that I could find in the country that offered something specific like that. Hmm. So I reached out to them. They hadn't noted that they were hiring. They didn't have any job postings or anything. I just decided I would like to work for these people. So I sent my portfolio to them. And uh, I think I think three companies I reached out to, two of them actually ended up offering me jobs. And so I chose one in DC. Okay. And yeah, it was an amazing experience. Uh, it was a design build company, meaning that I was heavily involved in the design, but also in the estimating and the construction and the final product. And I learned so much through being part of all of that versus just the upfront design aspect of things. Mm. So I worked for that company um, until 2008. And then my now husband and I had just decided that it was time for a change. And we um, kind of threw a dart and ended up in Utah. Oh, no way. It was just like a, a random choice. Huh? <laughs> you know, people say that all the time. Crazy. But it was actually perfect for us. Our, our short answer is that I wanted sunshine and he wanted mountains and snow. So we ended up here. <laughs> it's perfect. Yeah. I mean, we've got that stuff. So exactly. Good, ch good choice. So yeah, in Utah, I worked for a couple different cabinet companies and uh, realized that I didn't get to design as much as just taking cabinet orders and realized also that there was this niche for kitchen and bath focused interior design specialties. We had a lot of clients coming into the cabinet shop who either already had an interior designer, but the interior designer didn't specialize in kitchen and bathroom space planning, or they didn't have a designer. And so they were going to work with a cabinet shop and then they were having to select the tile by themselves and then the countertops by themselves and the lighting by themselves. And it was very overwhelming and disconnected. And so I started my business on the side, 
for a kitchen and bath interior design to kind of fill that niche. Oh, that's smart. And just, I kept growing more and more clients and got to a point where I had to either choose my, my current day job at the time or take the leap and start my own business. Mm. So that's, that's what I did. And that was in 2011. Okay. And that was, that was NZ. That was the beginning of NZ. That was NZ design. Yes. And wow, you've been doing, uh, you've been running NZ for nine years. I didn't realize that's like, you know, that's pretty solid. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a good run. Mm-hmm. So I have to ask you, do you know what NZ Design stands for? No. How have, how have we never talked about this before? But yeah, I, I, I just assumed, you know, your initials, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, there's Most people don't know that. Oh. <laughs> I thought it was going to be obvious, but... That's funny. Yeah, I, I lived in New Zealand for some time and we called it NZ, NZ. So kind of made that connection pretty quickly. Very few people have actually been able to determine that it stands for my initials. Question six. I like this question. What is your secret weapon? I don't know if I was prepared for that one, but you know what? (laughs) (laughs) No, actually my secret weapon. I am kind of a space planning and math geek when it comes to design. Mm. And I think that surprises a lot of people. But that is what makes my area of expertise, my, my niche, my special thing mm. that a lot of designers don't necessarily have. Um, and I think it's important in our world of design to recognize what our strengths and our weaknesses are. Mm. So um, yeah. I, really, I, I really do geek out about the space planning aspect of things, mm-hmm. the, um, the kind of mathematical aspect of space planning right it's why i do love kitchen and bath design specifically because Mm. it can come down to a fraction of an inch as to why something will or will not work Mm. and so that just fascinates me and people make fun of me when i take measurements down to the 16th or eighth of an inch but it's just kind of how my mind works that's cool and so you're you're prepping for fabricators and installers to be able to do their thing and do it do it well Exactly. Yes. And just to maximize as much space as possible. That's cool. So like square footage wise, but also like in, in 3D, it sounds like your your brain works in the kind of three three dimensional minutia space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is that is a secret weapon. I like that. Me included. Not all designers do the math thing very well. No. And that's definitely where I find my strength. It's not necessarily in the color tones and the coordination, you know, decorative aspects. Mm-hmm. It's- mm-hmm. Okay. So question seven. Do you have a favorite quote? I do, actually, and I don't, unfortunately, know who to credit it to. But back when I was in college, I was in this art history course, and I loved my professor. And this was a quote he shared with us that um, was something he had just kind of remembered all his life. So I don't even remember the story behind it, but it's just always stuck with me, and that is, the more you know, the more you know, you don't know. Mm. And it's so simple, but I just think it it relates to so much in the terms of like, we always have something to learn. There's something new to learn on every project. And it's important to stay open-minded because we don't know everything and we're not going to learn everything if we aren't open to it. I feel like design is one of like the few professions where that is a strength is ad- admitting that you don't know everything and too many people are scared to admit that Mm -hmm. and you know for a good reason it's uncomfortable like that's a really fucking uncomfortable space to be in the the ambiguity space 
Yes, it is. It is. And it's interesting, though, because if you tell a client, I'm sorry, I don't know the answer to that. I'll have to get back to you. Nobody has ever been upset about that. Exactly. But if I were to make up something or pretend I know an answer that I don't, that can come back to bite me. So yeah, we get hung up on having to act like we know it all, but it's really not necessary to to come off that way. Yeah. And I think in the end, the client respects you more when, when they realize you're, you're being straightforward and, and you, you are going to go away, find, find an answer, come back, you know, you're, you're, you come off trustworthy in that way. Yes. Great. Okay. So next question, what do you think will be trendy next year? It's kind of a loaded question considering how crazy 2020 has been. So what, what do you think? 2021, what's, what, going to be trending. Yeah, that uh, that is a loaded question. And I do think that so much of what's going to be trendy. I mean, there there are other things happening in the world of design, right? But again, the pandemic is just impacting so much of it. I think that well, let me just kind of clarify. A lot of people think that interior design is about the colors and the fabrics and, you know, just the pretty stuff. And that is a part of it. But really, in our world, we define interior design as uh, it impacting the health, safety and well-being of people. And so when you think about the pandemic and how it's impacted people, those areas of design are, are a big deal, are a big thing to address. And so we already talked about some of that a little bit with, you know, the, the health aspect of people eating more in the home and of people needing to have more cleanability options and, um, you know, germ-free, non-toxic materials stuff, um, but also health and well-being in the sense of being able to work out, um, being able to have an ergonomic and productive workspace mm-hmm. for home office or for school. Right. Um, and then obviously the well-being, like our homes are not just where we go after the day is done anymore. They're often where we spend the entire day. So they have to serve as an office. They have to serve as a workout area. They have to serve as your calming space to relax at the end of the day, but they also have to be completely functional for all the chaos during the day as well. And so incorporating all of that into design and recognizing those kind of different areas and spaces. Um, I do think it'll be interesting to see over time, and I can't predict this, but for so long, we've had this open concept plan, yeah. you know, with the, the great rooms or the open kitchens mm-hmm. and the open homes being you know, just where everybody is always kind of in range of each other. Yeah. And I kind I wonder if the pandemic will change things in that sense where people want more separate, closed off private yeah. spaces to have their different activities. Um, divided more easily. I'm not sure, uh, but it'll be interesting to see what happens with that. It's crazy. It, that answer is like heavy because there, it feels like interior design is, is going to like have to take on so much of the brunt of like the aftermath of the pandemic. Right. As far as like coming up with so- solutions in so many areas, all those areas that you talked about. 
that's wild. It's really cool to talk to you about it. Cause I haven't, I didn't think of it in like at that, uh, on that level and just like, yeah, the mission for interior designers in, in the next couple of years and how, how yeah. things, uh, you know, every, every interior environment is going to be, be kind of rethunk, rethink, rethought. Yeah. And um, <laughs> yeah. one thought I have is assuming there's a vaccine next year and everybody's able to like recongregate if they'll, if it'll be the opposite, if it's possible that, you know, once everybody feels safe, they want to be in groups and want to like breathe and sweat on each other. And, you know, just kind of like as a contrast to what we've been going through. That'll definitely be interesting to see. What I thought was interesting as well was that some of these trends already started even before the pandemic. Mm. So I actually went to the kitchen and bath industry show in January. So before any of this was, you know, even out there. Um, and there was, I went to a couple different segments on wellness design. And so a lot of that already was coming into play and the thought process behind it and, uh, what we can do to bring wellness into the interior design in the home. And so another aspect of that is also, have you heard of biophilia or biophilic design? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like bringing greenery into spaces and architecture. Exactly. Yeah. Designing, designing for nature about just our humans innate connection to nature and what it does to our psyche. Mm. And so that's also obviously a part of, of wellness and well-being and being able to do things like the plants. Yes. But another thing, and this coincides also with the trend of smart home and technology integration into design Mm. are things like lighting and setting things to circadian rhythms Mm. and adjusting the color temperature of lighting based on the time of the day. And that's another thing that I just see getting more and more integrated and and common or popular mm-hmm. going forward. Right. Yeah. Especially if you really are confi- confined to the home, it's it ha- it has to perform for you. Mm-hmm. And there's all that promise of the smart smart home stuff, and it's like yeah, actually like putting it into into practice finally. Yes. Yes. And it's it's out there, and there there's a lot of that that's just big right now, but this is just the the surface. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's an exciting field to be in. I'm looking, I'm looking forward to your next few years. That should be interesting. Thank you. Let's do the inspiration question. One of my favorite questions always. A big reason I kind of like got into doing these interviews in the first place because I'm really curious where other designers find inspiration. So yeah, where, you know, where, where out in the world or in your home do you find inspiration for your work? You know, I think the most obvious answer to that is obviously social media. Um, especially in our world where everything is so visual. Um, But I do try hard to not just follow other interior designers. Um, I follow architects. I follow artists. I love looking at paintings and work and social media general posts of other artists, both locally and um, nationwide. Um, And I just think that their use of color and drama and the emotions that you feel from that can obviously definitely impact design and apply to that. Um, But I think also inspiration, I've touched, I'm going to sound like a broken record here, but um, just keeping up on current, not trends, but what current situations are and 
what the world is going to need, what are people going to need, what are clients and homeowners going to need in the mm. future, and kind of doing some creative design thinking about that for inspiration. That's cool. I like that. Yeah, kind of watching current events and, and yeah, how would you, exactly. how would you re- respond, you know, with, with design. Yeah. And then also, you know, the technology, how is that going to change the world of design and keeping up on that? Because that obviously has to, Mm. has to be something we're thinking about in order to be able to offer it to clients and make it part of our design package. This is a question that I didn't prep you for, but like, it's related for sure. Like, are there some publications that are kind of your go-tos to... I guess, outside of design, your favorite place for kind of like keeping up with like what technologies are emerging that you might have to respond to, you know, where you can kind of come up with your own commentary of how that works rather than like listening to, you know, design journalists. You know, I wish I could say more to that um, time being a mom (laughs) and life outside of work doesn't allow me to really get into all the publications that I wish I I could. I do have, this does fall into social media, but there are a couple industry-related groups, um, mostly on Facebook, that I follow. And these groups, uh, some are interior design in general, some are kitchen and bath design Mm -hmm. specific. And we throw out a lot of questions like that and uh, share new products that other people may not be aware of and just have general discussions about, um, one in particular in the kitchen and bath group, we talk a lot about technology and what it is doing to, you know, the future of design and to the process of design, how to integrate it into homes, but also how to integrate it into our process and projects and presentations to our clients. Mm. Oh, that's awesome. So it's like a kitchen and bath designer, like forum, essentially. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Okay. Cool. That sounds good. We, there are a few of those for like industrial designers on Discord. And I think Discord is like a gamers forum. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah, that's been where some, some industrial designers have kind of created some communities. Yeah, so I'll kind of pop in, in and out of those too. But it, sound, it sounds similar where, yeah, you, you, you can kind of just generally like bullshit with other designers, but then also uh-huh. like 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 hit like serious topics too yeah yeah okay so what is a project that you feel like you should be known for like if you had to pick one of your projects that would be like your flagship project what would it be you know i do not have a specific answer for that i tried to think of i tried to think of the best answer but it's each project is so different um we don't really have a signature project or a signature style or a client i mean we do so many different types of work. And we, we take pride in that, that we are not like cookie cutter designers. So each project is a new experience for me. I learned something new on every job and I love something different about every job. So I, I was racking my brain trying to think of <laughs> what the answer would be to that. And I honestly just yeah. could not come up with anything like one specific project. So the one that I think of is the, is Soma, right? The restaurant? Soma, yes. Soma. And the amazing Vietnamese kind of like Asian fusion yes. in Sugar House. And we go there all the time. They oh, do great. like a Peking duck. That's great. But yeah, the first time I was there, I was like, wow, this interior design is cool. Like it's kind of like a mix mix of like um, 
almost like traditional Asian and like mid-century modern, like which I was like, maybe didn't think was possible. And I don't know if that was, I don't know if that was your intent, but that's kind of what I got from it. And I love like the bar, the bar area up front and all like the furniture choices and yeah, the different kind of seating arrangements. So yeah, that's the one I think of. And I think everybody should <laughs> go to that restaurant because it's a good restaurant when, you know, I think you can get takeout there from there. Yeah. From there now. Yeah. Well, thank you. Um, I can tell you a little bit of the, the background on the design scheme there. So, um, the original intention was, you know, what, what was everywhere in Salt Lake at the time was just, just this kind of industrial modern design. Um, so lots of exposed reclaimed wood, modern elements, um, just that industrial vibe, you know, exactly what I'm talking about. And we took that and said, okay, but it is being done kind of everywhere here right now. Let's use some of those elements, but let's warm them up. Let's make it a more cozy feel by using a slightly more, you know, golden color hue to the wood rather than that rustic gray hue. Let's Mm. bring in some color. And we use some inspiration of um, images from, honestly, just doing a Google search, but images of Vietnamese fishing boats um, that had this just wonderful warm colors of reds and greens and yellows. Oh, right. Yeah. And then also some images from outdoor markets there and some of the the spices and the just different food flavors were very colorful. And so we thought we don't want this drab industrial space that doesn't reflect the cuisine at all. So we can still go with that that theme and that vibe, but yet warm it up and add some of the color that relates to the food. Yeah, that's a good call. And it has a lot of pop. Like every kind of space has a different a different feel too. I like that. Thanks. That was a fun project. Let's get into some practice related questions. Okay. We've already been in and around there, but these are kind of specific to your career and your design philosophy and practice. Sure. The first is, uh, what advice would you give your younger designer self? You know, there's probably a lot of answers I could have there, but one that comes to mind right away is that burnout is real and Mm -hmm. recognizing that, um, because once it, once it happens, it's hard to recover from it. Mm. And so I would tell my younger designer self to take more of a break to not get so intense all the time. Yeah. Because it's not helping the situation. Right. Yeah. You're not, you're not performing. You're not maybe doing your job well anyway. Mm -hmm. So why, why overdo it? Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Okay. Question 14. What's something you've learned the hard way that you'd like to help other, you know, help our listeners avoid themselves? One of the things that I struggled with early on in my career, and I can imagine this applies to a lot of the fields of design, not just specifically interior design, uh, is that essentially we are all salespeople. I went into my first job and I was very adamant and a little snotty about it, just insisting I'm a designer. I'm not a salesperson. I just thought salespeople are the people who are wearing their polo shirts with the logo on, (laughs) on the chest and, you know, their khaki pants and they're just all about sell, sell, sell and not having any fun or bringing any creative energy to the project. But and I wanted to differentiate myself from that. So I was like, I'm a designer. 
But in the end, I learned and had to learn that in order to actually be able to use my design skills, I had to first sell myself and I had to sell my process and my company. And only then would I actually get to design. And it was kind of just an awakening for me that, okay, I'm a salesperson, but really we're all salespeople. We all, in order to do what we love to do, we have to sell ourselves or we have to, we have to, yeah, we have to sell ourselves in order to get people to hire us. Yeah. Sell your skills and, and even in, in the project, sell, sell your ability to, you know, solve your client's problems. Yeah. Yeah. It never really stops. I wanted to ask a question about research and how it applies to what, what you do in, in your work. What does research mean for your creative process? Like, how does it work into your creative process? You know, this is something we've kind of touched on a little bit already, too. But I research for me in the world of design because it is constantly changing. There are there are fads and trends that come and go all the time. But again, technology is so huge in this. Mm-hmm. And so in my world, I need to I need to be up on the latest and greatest to be able to give my client the best. And so that means being more aware of, you know, the technology that is out there to be integrated into homes and how that affects design and how that affects the space. Mm. But it's also being aware of the new materials that are constantly being developed because of new technology and these materials can change how things are built, how things can look. Um, example of that being some of the performance fabrics that are out there now. They're getting better and better. They used to just be like commercial grade because they weren't super nice and soft and comfortable. But now that has changed. And so we have this whole realm of kid-friendly, pet-friendly, bleachable, cleanable fabrics that we can use on interiors, which make a world of difference in how long a, a piece of furniture might last or how mm. clean you can keep it when you have kids around. But then also just the evolution of something like LED lighting, which has changed so much about how we can put lighting into a project. It's not just something to hang on the ceiling anymore. It's these mm. you know small little pieces that can be integrated into cabinetry and shelving and this just whole new world of lighting technology. That's very cool. So do, do you, and well, I guess, um, you know, you as a company, um, go to trade shows like in, a in a normal world where traveling's still not, you know, weird or, um, unacceptable. Yeah. Yep. Definitely. Um, once a year, at least, we go to, um, there's a kitchen and bath show called KBiz. And then um, mm. there's furniture markets and design markets in Vegas that we tend to go to as well. And so those are great for it. Um, just also, you know, companies, online newsletters, educational CEU opportunities. Um, mm. We do a lot of signing up for, well, now webinars, it used to be a lot of in-person events too, but yeah, there's so many ways, easy ways to keep tabs on what's out there, which is 
good being in Utah since we don't have a major design center and we're not, you know, the first place for these big brands to go and highlight their stuff. So being able to use um, social media websites, online webinars is, is really beneficial here. Speaking of salesmanship, are you able to like um, kind of turn around and, and, and sell the, sell that to a client like pretty easily, like some new faucet with LEDs and motion sensors or something, you know, and it's probably expensive. Uh, are you, <laughs> do you, do you feel like you're pretty enabled to like turn around and like make those part of projects? In some cases, yes. I mean, not everybody, you know, not everybody's going to agree to it. And there are a lot of clients, a lot of our client base anyway, who are kind of scared of the new technology, right? So it's just about getting to know your clients and understanding what their needs are. So there's a lot of stuff that we're not going to push on everybody. But for that one client that I can come up and say, oh, did you know this existed? Let me tell you about it. It's if I can find that kind of product to fit their needs and they had never heard of it before, that's a huge success on my part. Ooh, that's exciting. And then you're just connecting all the dots and everybody's happy. Right. Love it. Next question. Is there an individual in your life who, who was critically formative to your career and motivation um, up to this point? You know, there's, there's a lot of people. I don't want to discount anybody. There are a lot of people, but one of the first people that pushed me in, in the direction that I ended up going. So, um, it was just a strange coincidence, I think, but back in, back in 10th grade, maybe ninth grade. Anyway, I was in high school and I had this history teacher named Mr. Klein And I couldn't tell you much about the class and I was never very good with history, but it was spring break and most people were going down to Florida because that's what you do in the Midwest. And my my family wasn't. And my teacher had suggested, and I'm not sure why I was so excited about this because (laughs) it was schoolwork on a spring break, but he had suggested that since I was going to be since I was going to be home, I think he must have just had this inkling about what would be good for me. And he knew this is something that I needed to do, even though I didn't know it. He recommended that I go visit a Frank Lloyd Wright house that was in Grand Rapids. I had never heard of Frank Lloyd Wright before at that point. And I went because I was going to be able to write one of our, um, one of our history papers on this house. And so I went to this house and I got the tour and I fell in love. I fell in love Mm. with the architecture, the whole idea of Frank Lloyd Wright, what he stood for, how he designed, how he incorporated the people element into his homes. And I was fascinated. And I had never thought of getting into design or architecture before then, but something clicked. And I feel like Mr. Klein knew this was going to happen. And (laughs) I came back and I said, I want to be, I want to be an architect. Mm. Granted, you know, I then went through some other career things. And like I said, I started college wanting to go into graphic design, but there was always something in the back of my mind that I think just pushed me that direction. And so I ended up getting into a career where I design a 3D residential environment. We have to remind ourselves that we're living the dream, you know, and yeah. we're, 
we're, we're, we're blessed to be able to do this work. Yeah, something we're passionate about. I love that. I love the story. Frank Lloyd Wright, still, still like my favorite too. And it, I don't know, it might be cliche or like, you know, it's like he, he might be the, the most famous architect ever, but that I still, he's still my favorite. You know, the Guggenheim, I think is probably like the most amazing building yes. in the world. Yeah. So I would, I would still claim Frank Lloyd Wright, even though he's not, not very cool and niche, you know, I think, <laughs> I just think, I just think everything he did and the movements he started in design were amazing. Ahead of his time, he was definitely a big influence to a lot of modern day thought. Mm-hmm. Well, that's so cool. Mr. Klein, thank you. 10th grade. Right. Uh, it's good to just like, uh, you know, call out those, those individuals sometimes. Okay. So question 17, do you have rituals or routines that enhance your creative process? I do. Yes. I definitely, um, and I actually, I do want to broaden this more too, because I do feel like I, I need more. I need more of that creative exercise. But Mm. one thing that I have discovered is that I do better if I can model a space in three dimensions I do yeah. a lot of my design stuff. I used to think I was just doing these 3D um, renderings for clients visualizing, but I realized that I'm actually then changing a lot of my design or tweaking things or redesigning things completely sometimes once I draw it in 3D. So I've started doing more of that in the upfront design versus just the presentation aspect. Right. And it does really help me to be able to tweak and fine tune things and, and just really grasp the overall concept if I've been doing that. And that's the same thing that goes for, um, for doing sketching too. stuff that I never show the clients because it's always so messy, but to be able to wrap my head around a concept and how something more detailed is going to come together, especially in you know the world of cabinetry and countertops and tile and some of those areas where you're not quite sure how the joints are going to fit. It really helps me to just sketch it out. And then I also find because I am, I do a lot of, I guess you would call it interior architecture where we Mm. are doing space planning and we're recreating, redefining spaces. And like we talked about the open concept in many cases, we're talking about taking down walls and, reworking things. So often what I'll do is after I do a site measure, I'll draw the existing space on CAD. And then after having discussed with the clients what the boundaries are, what our limitations are for what we can and can't touch, we'll kind of define that. And then I'll remove everything else from the CAD and start with Mm. that blank canvas, filling it in, reworking from that empty point. And that really helps me think about what can be rather than being stuck on what is. Okay. I like that. How you kind of like erase, erase the edges or, or like, um, I guess define, define the frame that you're working in. Yeah, exactly. Right. That's cool. And I love that you brought that up as like, that's, that's, that's your ritual. Mm Mm-hmm. Is kind of giving giving yourself the space to work in 3D in like an open 3D environment. Do you and you guys do you guys use like AutoCAD or what, what's what's your like favorite kind of go to program to do that? Yeah, at this point we use AutoCAD for all of our two dimensional and um, construction drawings, and then I use SketchUp for my okay. renderings. 
Great. Okay. Yeah, I, I use SketchUp too. I think it's such a creative tool. It really and is. Um, and, and it can be pretty iterative and, and very fast, right? I, I, I'm like the only person in industrial design that uses SketchUp. Um, you know, it's really, it's really like something from, from architecture and landscape architecture, interior design, right? But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, but I think that that's actually like my answer to the secret weapon question. Cause I've, I've used Ske- SketchUp enough that I, uh, it's a, it's like second nature. So that's kind of my secret weapon in my field. That's great. And I can definitely see how that would play out with what you do. And what I love yeah. too about SketchUp is that it doesn't, by keeping the edges more sketchy, it allows you to be a little bit more loose, at least in my world. So when I'm showing things to clients, it doesn't look like the final photographic product because things will change. And if I'm doing things quickly, I may not fill in all the little tiny details of, you know, cabinet style profiles and hardware and whatnot. But Mm -hmm. I want to get the big picture point across. And so by not showing them a photograph or a rendering that looks like a photograph, I'm not making promises that aren't real. I'm keeping it a little bit more still conceptual so that I'm being honest about where we are in the process and not showing them something that isn't going to actually be. Yeah. You know, that's a really good point. Um, And that's why like we will try to present stuff in hand drawings because yeah, it keeps, it keeps it loose enough that the, the client doesn't get fixated on, on little details that don't, aren't there or whatever. Right. Final. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you're right. I think yeah. SketchUp has that kind of loose blocky quality that, yeah, you know, but nobody's going to like be confused thinking it's, you know, it's, it's real or the final drawing. Yep. That's so cool. I guess I didn't realize like you and your partner, you know, are deep in SketchUp land a, a lot of your day. And I, I like thinking that just, we might be in SketchUp land together. That's, <laughs> That's great. <laughs> right. Okay. So What's your least favorite part of the design process? You know, my least favorite part, and if any of my clients hear this, I don't want them to take offense to it, but (laughs) the least favorite part is honestly often the client. And what I mean by that, and this is not all clients, but sometimes we will get a client who is so involved, and I know they love to be, and that's great, but they can't quite let go of what they don't understand. Right. And so that limits us because we are, we are working for the client, but obviously we have a certain level of expertise and knowledge and training and experience that allows us to think beyond what they are able to think of and comprehend. And when a client can't give us the the trust and the freedom to go that far beyond it limits what we can give them mm. and so our design is limited and it's it obviously works so much better for for me but for the client for the job for the budget for everything i feel if a client can trust me and my skill to do something that they may not fully understand and comprehend yet, but that I know will be a solution to their design problem. And having that freedom and that flexibility 
can just really make a project amazing versus just good. Okay, question 19. We're almost at the end here. What's your definition of success as a designer? You know, this thing I am kind of uh, passionate about because I feel like in today's world, and I know you can relate to this too, because of Instagram and social media, it's so easy to fall into all the other designers out there Mm. who do amazing projects and have tons of followers and tons of likes. And it's easy to kind of get into the mentality that they're successful and more successful than you because you don't have those followers or, or those likes. But in the end, it's, that doesn't really matter. And what matters to define success in your career is the career part of it. So for me, it's the questions of, did I make my client happy? And Mm -hmm. did I give them something that they would have never thought of themselves? And then on the business end, obviously, did I make money? Because that defines success. Absolutely. Okay, last question. Okay. It's a little bit of a doozy. What's a myth about design you'd like to debunk here on on the air tonight? <laughs> on the air. Yeah. I another thing I'm passionate about. People tend to think that design, that interior design especially is expensive and only for wealthy people. And there are some fields of design where that may be true and it can be seen as more of a luxury item. But the fact is, it doesn't have to be that way. And that Mm. everybody can benefit from good design. And design does impact all of our lives, whether we realize it or not. So when it comes to business and clients... I have a lot of clients who wouldn't fit into that wealthy category, but they're doing a remodeling project, they're doing a, a redecorating project, and they realize that there is the value of bringing in a designer to help make sure that they do it right. And by mm-hmm. bringing in a designer, we can keep things more in line with budget and with spending money on the right things and Interesting. figuring out where the priorities really are, but also then following a process that allows things to go more smoothly, meaning construction goes more quickly yeah. and therefore they save money on that end. So it is quite common where a client can save money by hiring an interior designer and people don't tend to, think that's possible, but I can tell you it is, and there is a value to it. And it's not just about luxury design. Yeah, no, you're right. That's a little bit counterintuitive to think, to think in that way. Yeah, exactly. I'm also always a fan of saying like you, you get what you pay for. And Mm -hmm. if you don't put up any money, then you're not really to get much out of your project. That's true. That's true. And being able to bring in people who have all the experience and who know what mistakes are out there and can help avoid a lot of that stuff. It, it does make a difference. 
Mm-hmm. And that's actually one of the, um, if you go to my website, you'll see it's like a, a headline, a tagline, whatever you want to call it. Design mm-hmm. makes a difference. Mm-hmm. And that is just something that is so huge in my life. And again, it doesn't just, it doesn't just um, talk about interior design, but it applies to all design. And because we feel so strongly that design does have a huge impact on all people, whether they know it or not, um, we kind of feel like we have to put our foot where our mouth is, right? And yeah. um, I've been involved in this national organization called Design for a Difference, where there's a, a group of designers and affiliated showrooms around the country who work together to do makeovers for charities. So I've gotten oh, cool. to be involved in some of these projects and it's amazing and heartwarming to see the responses of the community who is impacted by a certain project. Um, and we are actually doing locally, we've partnered with the Family Support Center, which has some locations in Taylorsville and Murray, and we're doing some reworking, um, redesigning of their family living room spaces and the um in their community. It's like a community living, um, almost dormitory style arrangement for, um, for families, for, um, families who were, you know, out of, out of luck and Mm -hmm. have this place to come together. And that offers them housing and it offers them, um, counseling and resources. And we wanted to make sure that they have a comfortable community living space to all come together and feel feel hope and feel relaxed and mm. just a place where they could really feel like they were home. And so that's been a big a big project for us in the last year and something wow. really amazing to be a part of. Mm. That sounds really nice. What um, remind us the name? It's Family Support Center. That's great. I I would think there would be you know a lot of listeners and kind of fellow local local designers that'd be interested in maybe joining forces with you. Yeah, I would I would love it. If anybody does want to talk about that, I'm happy to do that because they could always use more resources and volunteers and they love love getting the community involved. That's really cool. Okay, well we'll we'll try to make sure we can connect you with anybody who who is interested. I think, you know, there was a time before the pandemic when we had a, a good amount of listeners and a lot of interior designers and interior design students. So that might be a way mm-hmm. for students to kind of like dip their toes in and, and, you know, mingle with professionals like you. Sure. Cool. We'll, we'll make sure like your contact info is available for people to reach out to you. Perfect. Thank you. Okay, cool. Well, that's 20 questions. We made it through. It was amazing to talk to you finally at, at this level of your design expertise. And we could probably keep going, but we'll, we'll cut off the recording here and I just want (laughs) to, just want to thank you. Thank you again for joining me. Well, thank you for having me. I'm glad we could finally make it work after all this time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Nicole and I have been, um, basically like postponing this episode since March. So for seven months during during the pandemic, Mm -hmm. we just weren't sure if it was ever going to work out, but now, now we're, we're figuring out a way Uh, remotely to make these recordings happen so well thanks again nicole you're welcome thanks aaron it was fun